This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. This episode of the podcast is supported by Lily Trotters. Lily Trotters are my favorite compression sock. They are strong enough for a marathon, comfortable enough to wear for hours, and pretty enough to wear almost anywhere. Also thin enough to fit into your favorite shoes. They're cute, they're comfortable, they're functional. This is a woman-owned company, and they are doing all kinds of great work. You gotta check them out. Side note, they're also my longest running sponsor on this show. Lily Trotters believed in this show before anybody else. So go support them. Go to lilytrotters.com, use the code another, and you'll get 25% off your order. All right, today you're listening to episode 323, and I'm talking with Tyler Green. Tyler just placed second at the Western States Endurance Run. Very big day for Tyler. He has been praised for his consistent pacing efforts throughout this race and In this conversation, we talk about all the things that he did leading up to the race that he believes helped him both physically and mentally have such a strong race and a strong breakthrough. This was his second go at Western States. In 2019, he placed 14th, so a big, big day placing second from a 14th place finish in 2019. Tyler lives in Portland, Oregon with his wife, Rachel Drake. She's an awesome ultra runner in her own right, and we're going to have to do an episode with Rachel. Tyler and I decided that that needed to happen in this conversation. We decided, I got to get Rachel on this show. So Tyler has had some other really great accomplishments in the sport that you need to know of. So many fastest known times to his name, Lost Coast Trail, Wonderland Trail. He's the Black Canyon 100K champion. He's the Cascade Crest 100 champion. He's the Bandera 100K champion from 2019. He has the fastest known time from the Timberland Trail. I'm not even going to say this right. The Snoqualmie Pass to Stevens Pass fastest known time in 2018. He got third at the Sean O'Brien 100K in 2018. The list goes on. He has accomplished a lot. And what I love about Tyler is his pure love and passion for exploring nature and the world and getting on the mountains and the trails and just loving his craft, loving what he does. You will hear that passion in this episode. Oh, one more thing. He is a middle school health teacher. How cool is that? We talk about that in the episode too. All right. If you love this podcast, please consider leaving us a quick rating and review. It takes two minutes and it is hugely helpful in potential new listeners finding us over here. I would be so grateful if you would do that. Okay, enjoy my conversation with Tyler. All right, well, today on the podcast, we have Tyler Green on the show. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Thanks, Lindsay. Fresh off second place at Western States. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm a little bit um, feeling a little unbelievable right now still. (laughs) Well, I'm super stoked that you were willing to do the interview so soon. I mean, I cannot believe it. I mean, it literally just happened. Yeah. So Saturday, what day is it? Wednesday? Yeah. We we just made it through an incredible Portland heat wave. So I didn't really, we're finally recovering today. It was like 115 degrees on 
Monday. And then it was up to is a, a nice, easy hundred degrees or so yesterday, but now it's like 85 and we're start, I'm starting to actually recover now. I mean, it's in this weather is insane. We're in the eighties right now in Indianapolis, but we're going right back up to the nineties. We haven't, we haven't seen the hundreds. Like this lady I interviewed for my other parenting podcast, um, yesterday, it was like 114 and she lives in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts right now. <laughs> it's so nuts. Okay, so um, second place, is this like, you know, in your wildest dreams a year ago, was this something that you imagined? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. Um, I think uh, it's it's always been my hope to be like a top 10 um, for just just to Western states, like kind of the the true podium sort of is they recognize the top 10 and invite the top 10 back. And so that's a pretty cool, um, like landmark or, or milestone for an ultra running career is to be in the top 10. And so that was always my hope. And I always thought I had like a chance of being, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth, 10th. Uh, but as training went along this year, I started to say like, you know what, maybe, maybe I could go top five. And if I could go top five, maybe I could go top three, you know? It's so, so cool. So 14th in, in 2019, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, as someone who kind of watches Western States every year and has interviewed a few people who have, who have been in that top 10, that does seem to be like the elusive, like, that's what I want to be. And you don't have to go after the golden ticket if you're in the top 10. Mm-hmm. So that kind of feels good. Do you anticipate this will be like a regular thing for you? It seems like once people kind of get the bug, they're like that they're Western States junkies. I certainly have the bug. And at the same time, I have this kind of philosophy that as trail runners, we should be out checking out new trails too. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many other races that I want to do as well. And it takes a lot out of you to do a hundred miler. So while it's on my mind and and definitely of interest for me to to continue to do Western States, I'm also looking around and being like, what else is out there? Um, There's a lot to explore. Yeah, because it's like if you have the you have the ticket now, so it's like, well, if you don't do it next year, then you're going to have to go do a golden ticket race, right? Right. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you might have convinced me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, maybe you just run it for fun next time then because you're focusing your efforts on the harder or the different the different trails like you mentioned. It's always for fun. Oh, that's the best. See, that's what I love about your story is I was kind of researching you a little bit. I love that it seems like you kind of fell into, you know, competitive trail running just from your love for hiking and being in the mountains. Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, uh, I, I ran in high school, um, did a lot of hiking, um, kind of out of high school, uh, lived in Nepal for a couple of years and trekked around the mountains there. Um, and I don't know why I never connected the fact that you could kind of marry the two into like running on the trails. I mean, we did a little bit every once in a while. Um, but it was never like, we're like, let's, that's all we should do is be out in the trails, but slowly, slowly figured it out. And I'm happy that I did. Okay. So let's sidestep just a minute. Nepal, where else did you live? Libya? Actually lived in Libya. Yeah. I taught in Libya for a year. Okay. What were you? Yeah. So were you there in both locations teaching like fresh out of college or what brought you there? Um, I was, I spent a couple years in college um, prior to going to Nepal and then went to Nepal on like a Christian mission trip basically. Okay. Um, 
And then, so spent a couple of years there, came back, finished up school and continued on to get my master's in teaching. And then um, that was a time when they were at the school that I was working at uh, was cutting teachers or was, was letting teachers go left and right out of a um, big budget shortfall. And I was just getting, getting my teaching degree and looking around and being like, and I got this random email that said, we're looking for teachers in Libya. And this is directly after the Arab revolution and um, the overturning of um, Muammar Gaddafi. And I said, you know what, that's just, I'm just crazy enough right now to be able to do something like that. Um, so that was like, I got that email two weeks later, I was on the ground in Libya. Wow. How long did you live in Libya? Uh, I think it was eight months in total. Okay. Are you so glad now looking back in your mid mid thirties that you did that at that point in your life? That was a, that was a very tough year. Okay. Um, a tough experience, but yeah, I'm, I'm certainly glad of, to have that just ability to have this perspective on a different country and um, different people and to, um, yeah, just to have had that adventure. I, I really can't imagine. Were you like 22? At that time, I was ooh, 28, maybe. Okay. What was so hard about it? Um, it was. It's just a very difficult place to live. I mean, it was, I would say, legitimately dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just like, uh, I guess the craziest anecdote would be like seeing seen um this is this was this was more of like there was a lot of times that they were that 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 um former revolutionaries uh were just they just like to shoot bullets in the air wow and there was one time where there was this big show of force and they were driving through the streets and shooting heavy artillery artillery um like anti-aircraft artillery kind of up and over our apartment wow. and you could see the tracer bullets going out in the this is a kind of a wild story for a running podcast. No, but, I love, I um, love the side stories. It's like my favorite part of this podcast. This is like very interesting. Yeah. So that, uh, so it was basically just watching these tracer bullets shooting over our apartment. Wow. Being like, oh, this is, um, this is getting a little bit hairy. Ready right to now. go home. Yeah. Ready to go home. Okay. So now, now you're in a much safer environment in a, in a private school in, in Portland. Yes. Yeah. It's a little bit different. <laughs> Tell us about uh, teaching health to high, uh, middle school kids. Yeah. So I'm a health and wellness teacher um, at, a, at an independent school here. And, uh, you know, I'd actually originally kind of gotten into teaching, teaching high schoolers. Um, but actually in Libya, I started teaching, I think I had, let me think, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. No, I think it was 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th. Sorry. <laughs> um, but when I got into the 7th graders class, I was like, oh, these are kind of, these are my people. Um, yeah, I just like their goofiness. Uh, I think that that middle schoolers are somewhat, can, can often be a little bit misunderstood. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of just accept, accept them as these goofy guys, goofy kids and, and, and be goofy along with them, um, it can be a heck of a lot of fun. <laughs> That's so cool and so important. It's such a hard time in life for for kids. So to have a teacher that like truly loves working with that age group is so important. Yeah, and our middle school, um, our faculty, the kids, like there's there's just we always talk about like there's just this middle school magic that goes on in, in our building, um, and it's so for 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 me, middle school was a fine experience, but I, I definitely didn't feel like. I really knew who I was or that anyone really knew me. Um, 
and I, I feel that and this, you know, each kid's experience is different, but um, that within our school that the kids just, everyone knows one another and, and, and the kids feel known and, and appreciated and, and, um, and accepted. Yeah. I think that that's so true with middle school. I think that a lot of people feel lost. Like I felt like in middle school, I was always trying to catch up. Like I was always a little bit behind all the other girls and like, you know, with like puberty and things like that. And I always just felt like I'm not ready for this yet, you know? So, um, yeah, yeah, man. And to teach, to teach health too, you gotta, you gotta do the sex education thing. Yeah. That's actually, I don't know why, but I, I kind of, I have, I have some fun with it. It's, you know, I don't, they're probably not enjoying it, but I, I find that it's, it's a fine topic to, to teach. Yeah. Do your kids know the kids that you teach? Do they know that you're a big ultra runner? They do. Yeah. In fact, we talk about, um, one of the lessons that I like to teach on is like reaching the flow state and what the flow state is all about. Um, and so, you know, we talk about it with video games, for instance, and how like you kind of choose a level that's appropriate to your skill level. And that's what makes it interesting. But if you're, if you're at the lowest level and you're really good at your video game, you're not going to have very much fun. And at the same time, if you are playing this incredibly difficult level of, of the video game and you have no skills at all, you're going to be really frustrated. So trying to find that place where you're right in the middle of, of having, uh, uh, the challenge level meets your skill level. And so we talk about that with, uh, and I say, and I explain kind of my story of um, actually it's kind of the journey that I've had to go to Western States of multiple years of trying and then finally getting there a couple of years ago. And, you know, that's kind of continuing. I mean, the race on Saturday was probably the, the ultimate flow state that I've ever, I've ever experienced. The ultimate flow state. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I'm trying to get my son to read books more. He's only nine, but it's like, he just has to find the right book. He, he can't read one that's too easy. He can't read one that's too hard. And I am like really in this like phase of trying to find that his flow state for reading. So that's, it makes so much sense. And it's, it's just like with workouts. I mean, this morning I just did a little, little baby interval workout and I'm not in great shape, but I was like, you need to do what's right for you. 15 times one minute. That's it. Nothing more. Don't push the pace. Like get in where you need to be right now. That's such a good lesson. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the age of Strava and and being able to see how other people are training, it can be easy to be like, well, why am I not training like them? Um, and, and just to accept like, no, this is actually the place where I need to be. So good. Okay. So this weekend was your perfect flow state. I love that. Let's talk about the journey getting to that. And, and by the way, like everybody's praising you for the race for like your pacing strategy and not like trying to feel like you needed to go out all hot at the beginning. That's clearly something you've probably learned over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I find that that's, that's kind of my style of racing. Um, not exclusively. I mean, actually the first time that I, the first golden ticket that I um, earned to go to Western States. I went out in first, which is very unlike me, unlike me. And I got passed a couple times, but was able to pass them back. Okay. Um, but generally, yeah, it's like, I just, I like that the energy that you get out of passing someone and, um, and that that kind of feeds on itself. Is that uncommon that you were able to pass back? I sort of feel like in ultras, once you get past, you're kind of passed. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's often the case. Um, I went through it, I think a little bit of a down, a down Uh point at one point, but, um, I had a, 
a quote from a friend of mine that I that was like kind of reverberating in my heart um, or what resonating in my heart. That's what I should say. Um, and and it just said, like, there's going to be a bunch of people going or a bunch of people are going to go out to war today. But there's only one that will be the true warrior. I love it. <laughs> Something along those lines. And I took that and I was like, I got to be a warrior. <laughs> so good. Who was the friend? Um, that's Alex Lore. He's, okay. Uh, yeah, he's um, previously a uh, flow track guy. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what was yeah, that race track. again? What was, which race was that? That was the Bandera 100K in, um, in Texas. And that's your in first golden ticket? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, first golden ticket, you run in 2019, you get 14th. And you kind of like, it seemed like 2019, you kind of had a really big year, like lots of big racing. And then 2020, you know, like... I feel like people that have big years in 2019, they're thinking, okay, big things are going to happen in 2020. And then 2020, you're like, okay, womp, womp. But you went and chased all those FKTs. I did. Yeah. Um, well, and and I thought 2019, I, I turned that into my year to really learn the 100 mile distance. Um, so ran Western States and that was the second 100 miler that I'd done. I'd done Leadville, but I almost, I mean, I, I completed the 100 mile distance. I probably ran and competed in about 60 of those miles and then pretty much walked in the next 40. You still got the um, cutoff though. I got the, yeah, what it was 25, 25 hours and they they give you this like dinner plate belt buckle. For the <laughs> but I mean, if you hours. walked 40 miles of that though, you must've hustled hard in the first 60. Yeah, I was, I think I was moving pretty well and thought that I was running, running appropriately. Um, I think I ran into some nutritional, maybe hydration issues as well as the altitude, some confounding factors there. So anyway, like leading into 2019 with Western States, I hadn't, you know, put together a hundred miler and that was a concern. And so I started out pretty conservatively and probably too conservatively. Mm -hmm. I feel like what happens with this, this idea of pacing is you, I'm, I guess I'm kind of working some people work, work by starting out really hard and, and seeing if they can stick it and maybe they do and maybe they don't. And the next, or maybe the first time they blow up at 60 miles and the next time they blow up at 80 miles and the next, next time they, they put it together. Mm -hmm. And for me, it's on the other end of like, I'm going to put it all together, maybe a little bit more conservatively. And then the next time add a little bit more aggression to it until I can, run the full distance, um, at my true potential, maybe. How did, I wonder why, is it because of your, how you entered the sport maybe? Um, I guess I just, I found, I found success in the way that I, in the way that I race. Um, I don't know. I don't want to put myself too much into a, too much into a hole of like, not, not getting out aggr aggressively too. I probably should at some point get out there. You know, like I feel like that's what a lot of people say. Like at some point to really test your limits, you know, once you're, you found your flow or whatever it is, like you do have to like get aggressive from the start if you want to yeah. like see what your true limits are. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and actually now that I'm thinking of it, maybe this one, well, my, when my, when I look back at my splits from doing the Wonderland trail FKT, which is a, a um, circumnavigation of, um, Mount Rainier mm -hmm. that run, um, I had to go out pretty aggressively and just see where I was at the first kind of checkpoint to see if I was on track or not. I'm like, I'm just going to get out there, send it, see where I'm at and see if it's possible. So yeah, of all your FKTs, 
we have Wonderland. We have Lost Coast Trail. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? You might have to help um, me out. Yeah, the Timberline Trail is a big one for me. That's um, going around Mount Hood. And then the Lewitt Trail is around Mount St. Helens. So that was kind of my my big project. Is a few years ago, I did the, the Timberline Trail. And that had been a, a huge, huge goal of mine. Um, and then with the pandemic, um, I was I thought, oh, I want to get the 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 big three circumnavigations of cascades in our backyard so um had the timberline and went after mount st helens and uh and rainier hey everybody a quick break here to thank whoop for supporting this episode of the podcast whoop is a fitness wearable that provides 24 7 personalized insights around your sleep recovery and daily activity Listen, friends, we put so much time into our training, our marathon running, our 5K training, whatever it is, we put time and energy into it, and WHOOP can be a tool that will help you maximize your performance. Every day, it gives you a personalized recovery score based on things like resting heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep, and respiratory rate, so you can monitor and change things in your fitness. I personally love the sleep coach situation because there is nothing better than waking up in the morning and seeing that I got eight hours of sleep. And it also feels pretty good to know that sometimes I only need seven hours of sleep. And I'm also really excited when I see a hard workout come through and it tells me that my fitness gains are happening. So Whoop is offering everybody listening 15% off with the code another at checkout. Go to Whoop whoop.com and enter the code another at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and run faster. Get to the start line healthy with Whoop. Timberline, I read, is your favorite place to run? Yes, definitely. What do you love about it so much? Uh, I think it's just just because it's like kind of the backyard best trail. It just has a little bit of everything. It gets up into the high alpine so that you're um, in these beautiful meadows. And there's on the east side this amazing like rocky kind of moonscape. But it also goes into some old growth forests. So it's got just a little bit of everything. And then uh, my family has this little... Um, quaint little cabin up on Mount Hood as well. So, you know, you hang out at the cabin, go run Timberline, come on back. It's just kind of the ideal weekend. That's so cool. Yeah. I read that you grew up on a volcano. Yes. Um, Mount Tabor, which uh, a couple other, uh, Mount Tabor is just, well, I just, it, it has a big place in my heart. So I like to, I like to um, brag that like Galen Rupp lived on the other side of Mount Tabor. Okay. Um, David Laney, another ultra running legend lived down the street from me. Um, and, and my high school team, Franklin high school there, they've become this really strong running program. So we like to say that there's a little bit of magic in the, in the volcanic dust up there. That's so awesome. <laughs> Where did, I know you ran in school in college for one year. Where did you run? Uh, just at Mount Hood Community College. Okay. Um, yeah, kind of trying it out, but wasn't didn't have like a huge passion for running at the time um, and kind of struggled with some injuries the year after that and then went off to Nepal. So running kind of took a back seat, but got a lot of good hiking in at that time. Um, learned how to power hike probably from that, which is an important skill for yeah. ultra running. 
Um, and when I came back, I started cyclocross racing, um, road, road, road cycling, a little bit of mountain bike racing. Um, and it wasn't for another, I don't know, probably like five years before I realized or got back to my running roots. Do you miss mountain biking at all? Um, I do. A st- I still do a little bit. Okay. Oftentimes it's only when I'm injured, but yeah, man, mountain biking is so much fun. And when I'm, I'm, I realize like, you know, skiing or mountain biking, it's like, oh, this is, this is when you're like truly like hooting and hollering and just like, whoa, this is a blast. Let's talk about getting to Western States, the second place. I'm curious about like changes you made with your training from, you know, 2019 to 2021 to get you in that podium position, not just podium position, but like really podium position. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's, well, like I say, um, 2019 was really the year to learn hundred milers. And as I kind of looked around the ultra running world, I saw that people who were running Western States, for instance, really successfully were the, were, um, you, you, there were definitely instances where people were just going out first time and, and nailing it. Um, and then there were a lot of guys that were consistently in the top 10. And I think the common denominator with all of them is that they run a lot of hundreds. They don't only run Western States, but they get out there and run, you know, two or three a year. Um, so I decided to run a couple um, after Western States, had a cu- couple months in between each one. So um, Western States, two months break. Cascade Crest 100, two months break, Havilene 100, two months break, or no, and then I was done. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of the first thing is just kind of learning those longer distances. Um, And then as far as actual training changes, um, a few things that I attribute to is um, really got into a robust strength training program. Both my my wife and I, um, I don't know quite what we like when we decided to do that, but we just kind of got down into the gym and started making, um, and, and living at a school, um, it was really oh, advantageous. You can just use the gym this room and actually to have that during the pandemic as well. So was, nice. It was pretty, um, advantageous. So, um, yeah, so we started doing some lifting. Um, that was like a one day a week and we like made, we, you know, we'd always be, we'd always jog down to the fitness center playing Rocky, theme song and getting all getting all excited about it and i think we really just kept that excitement for for strength training as well it's been really fun to see the the benefits for one the improvements in the weights that we're lifting as well Mm -hmm. um and i'm connected with um, a really great strength coach here in portland uh, matt walsh and he talking with him he said Oh, you got to have that stimulus twice, twice a week. Mm. So added on another kind of smaller workout, but made sure that I was lifting a couple days a week, really heavy. Um, and I think I just found that to be so important to just like feel like my body can hold up for the entire distance. Um, it's, I think it's a pretty monumental shift in, in my running. Um, were you lifting at all during 2019? Like when you did the three back to backs? Um, not too much. I would do some, uh, core work. Yeah. I call it sense of stability. Um, do some like single leg deadlifts, but not, not too much. Okay. Uh, now it's like probably spend about, probably, eh, it really ends up being like two hours a week yeah. in gym, an hour, an hour per session. Um, and 
yeah, I just, I've, I found that to be so important. And it's, it's not just, it's not just strength training. Like we start with strength training, but we kind of have a periodized approach where it's like, you start with just slow, heavy movement. Um, as you get closer to race day, decrease the amount of weight and increase the speed at which you're moving okay. that weight. And then kind of finish off with, um, with some plyometrics work. Oh, okay. well. you have all those things, all those things are involved within the strength program, but you're kind of shifting the ratios around. So a uh, course like rest- Western States, does your strength lie in like the climbing, the hiking, or like the parts that you can actually really run and like, you know, get after it with the turnover? I mean, I have, I, I'm not a, 104 marathon or half marathon sort of guy like like some of the people out there um like maybe Jim run, like, yeah yeah and there were multiple others too um really and i'm also and i'm also not um i think that there's this spectrum of people there's the guys that are just like incredible they could cut it in the roads and um and then there's the guys that Mo- that primarily are just doing mountain 100 milers um and i feel like i can maybe kind of bridge the gap and that I'm somewhere in between those two. Um, nothing spectacular on the roads or on the track or anything that I would be able to muster. Um, but also, um, also really, really comfortable with hiking, for instance. I mean, I think that that's a strength of mine and it's something that I don't mind doing in a race, even when, you know, it's, it feels like a running race. I should be running, but, Mm -hmm. um, I feel, feel really good with just going ahead and hiking. Have you ever thought about like, let me just see what I can do for a road marathon? Um, I haven't thought about it too much lately. I mean, yeah, well, I should say I haven't, I haven't put those ideas to, to work at all, but, um, it's always, a, it's always something where I'm like, I wonder what I could run. I ran one, one marathon when I was like, right before I went to Libya, actually, like maybe three weeks before I went to Libya. Um. And it was like a two thirty seven, which is oh, a respectable yeah, pace. Um, I think that I could probably go considerably faster now. Yeah. Um, but I don't have too much interest in just putting in the time to make that happen. I like the trails too much. Okay. Um, yeah, I saw that your wife Rachel did the Olympic trials in twenty twenty. So I wondered if that sparked any like, oh, I wonder what I could do out there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was it's super cool to be able to follow her and cheer her on. She's. Um, such a social butterfly that she um it's all of her friends were all training for um another marathon and a number of them qualified for the trials as well and so there was kind of this nice snowball effect where she was just like oh i'm getting in with all of this and and going for it and it's been it's been really um advantageous for her i think in the trails as well to have had those experiences oh sure yeah not missing out on that opportunity no not at all Okay. Tell us about how you guys met. I know you met at a race. Yeah. Um, well, the first, the first, uh, trail ultra that I ran was the Mackenzie river trail run. Um, it's a 50 K, um, beautiful course, fairly flat and actually a net downhill course. Um, I don't even know what year that was, but my, my buddy, a buddy of mine actually paid my entry into the race. Um, because I didn't actually want to race and he wanted to race. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll do it with you. Um, and that was the year before I met Rachel the next year, or then I got the bug for ultras. I signed up for five and went back to the McKenzie river 50 K the next year. And, um, at the end of the race, uh, Rachel and I were, we just happened to be like, um, dipping in the river at the end of the race to get next to one another. And I was like, here, you want to, you want some of my soap? 
She's like, oh yeah, I'll take some of that soap. And we started chatting a little bit. I invited her over to um, to the friends that I was spending time with. She was this was her first ultra as well, just a year later from my first ultra. Um, and we started to chat a little bit. Um, every or all of us together. But uh, then I just kind of I was like, well, maybe I'll see you around. Um, I knew that we kind of lived in 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 an area nearby in Portland, um, and then. I was like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta reach out to that gal. Aww. So I, I uh, found her on Facebook and asked her if she wanted to go for a run or something like that. And and we went running. So we kind of went on a few dates, and then I actually um, made a huge mistake and just said, uh, said I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> and and then we became friends for like two years. And um, and then there was this moment where. I, I actually, um, I was, I was actually on a different, <laughs> on a date with someone else <laughs> and thought, you know what, this gal is pretty cool. But really, I just want to be spending time with Rachel. Oh. And that's, uh, that's when things are like, okay, I'm making moves. Let's go. <laughs> oh, that's so good. She does seem like a gym though. It seems like everybody knows her in the ultra community and she's super fun and bubbly. And yep. I was telling you before we started recording, I was like, I kind of want to interview Rachel. Oh yeah, I tell everyone this. I'm like, she's the real star of the show. She's yeah. <laughs> like, she's the entertaining one. Um, I mean, when we got into Olympic Valley at um, a couple days before uh, before the race, she like had already run into a friend. And she's like, okay, I'm gonna go run, and I'll see you later. Bye. <laughs> like, gone. And uh, and just yeah, she's just has so much life to give, and um, yeah, it's great to be able to to do this this thing with her to be able to I mean do life as a whole with her and also also for us to be sharing this um this journey and running too yeah you both seem like you're very adventurous like like you said earlier every race is for fun I kind of mentioned oh do some for fun you're like no everything's every race is for fun do you both kind of share a similar uh view of that absolutely yeah um in fact I find I think there are times when it's like, oh, I'm doing, I'm doing this out of obligation or something. And for instance, with Rachel, especially, I just notice like when she's having fun, like mm. she's nearly unbeatable. And if it feels like it's ob- obligatory or something, um, then then the race doesn't often go as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our our mantra is, uh, if it, let me think about it. Yeah, I want to hear. <laughs> it. More mantras, um, just that. If you're if if you're running with joy, you can't lose. Um, that it doesn't matter what place you are. You had a good time. You had an incredible experience. It's like you won. How do you balance that with like also wanting to win and do big things? You know, because it's such a great outlook. But I'm like, at some point, there is a little pressure. You just got second place at Western States. Yeah, um, I listened to. Michael Gervais finding mastery podcast a lot. And I remember there's something that really stuck with me. He said that he was in the locker room, uh, at the, when the Seahawks won the world, the world series, the, um, Super Bowl, and Pete Carroll's like, all right, now we have what everyone wants. And Michael Gervais is like, don't say it. Don't say the trophy. Like that's not the point. And, and Pete Carroll goes, we have the knowledge of what it takes to be our collective best. Mm. And I think that that's uh, a lesson in in what it truly means to win is that like it's more about like did we reach our full potential and 
if I'm, if I'm getting there, um, then there's a, there's a certain amount of winning and there's always going to be someone better than me, especially when I live in the age of Jim Walmsley. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, first of all, I love that. And I've listened to several of his podcasts and every time I do, they're so good. I love the way he interviews and kind of like really just like digs in with the person. It doesn't seem Mm -hmm. pre-scripted or anything like that. Um, definitely, definitely a great podcast if people listening haven't checked it out. Um, but speaking of Jim Walmsley, so we'll dance back over to the race here. (laughs) Um, once you were kind of moving up the field, like sixth place, fifth place, you kind of move in. I know you ran with one of your teammates for a while. Were you, did, did it ever cross your mind? Like maybe I can get Jim. Were you in, in, did you have Intel? Like he's an hour up, he's already done. What was going on? Yeah, I knew um, at mile 62 in Forest Hill, that was the first time that I really even wanted to know what place I was, even though I had an idea. Um, And so I was running up this hill um, with my coach. He was kind of my first, uh, he just paced me for two miles in this first little stretch. And he kind of gave me a rundown of where everyone was. He's like, Hayden Hawks is 25 minutes up. He's in second place currently. Um, And then I was like, and Jim's just running away with it. (laughs) <laughs> and, and my coach was like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I knew that, uh, that winning it would not be something that on my best day on, on my best day and Jim's pr- like probably mediocre day, um, that I would be capable of doing it, that the circumstances would have to, um, would, would mean something had happened to that, that something had went wrong with Jim. I kind of knew that that was the case. So, um, yeah, I'm not, and, and that just goes back to me running smart and running basically what I, what I'm looking at when I'm going into a race is how am I going to get from point A to point B in my fastest time possible in the fastest time that I can muster. And usually that's by, you know, working on my personal pacing strategy. Yeah, it seemed like in hearing you talk post-race, I don't know if it was the I Run Far interview, but like it just seemed like you're really good at staying in the moment, like right where you need to be. Yeah, this is kind of a a new thing for me and kind of going back to some of the the training strategies that I've employed too is like, I don't know, when I started, I started doing some like more mindfulness um, practice. Um, So just using like the Headspace app, maybe 10 minutes a day. going through their different packs that they provide. And, um, and I, I knew that, well, this is going back to Michael Gervais. He's like, you can train your body, you can train your craft. And one of the things that we leave on the table is you can train your mind. And I wanted to train my mind. I didn't necessarily know how that mindfulness practice would apply on race day. I didn't, I didn't have any instruction on like, what are you, how am I going to take that, those skills and use them on race day? What I realized on race day, um, is that especially when you get into the canyons, which is this notoriously hot and difficult stretch of the, um, of the course that drops down into three successive canyons, um, that I knew that I needed to get to forest Hill after the canyons in good shape, feeling good. And, um, I also, had this inkling that this was a special, that this could be a special day. When you get that inkling, you start to think about what does the finish, what's the finish line going to look and feel like, and that's taking you out of the moment and what you need to do in the present, which is all about mindfulness. It's like, Oh, 
if you get distracted, notice that, recognize it, and return back to where what you're doing right now, which is which is some focus on your breathing. So um, how that applied actually in the canyons was I would get excited about kind of how their day was going. And then I would say like, no, 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 right now you are descending down El Dorado Canyon. And you're doing that in a way that's going to get you to Forest Hill in a good spot, mm. in, a good, in a feeling good. And I just, and I'd continue, like I did the same thing. I'd like, oh, no, I'm thinking about the route. I'm thinking about the finish again. No, no, you're in El Dorado Canyon, you're climbing up out of El Dorado Canyon, and you're doing it in such a way that you're going to get to Forest Hill in a good spot. And um, yeah, that was, I think, extremely helpful for me to just kind of be like, just like get, I'm working on this right now. This is all I need to wor- worry about right now. That's really powerful. I think that's just a total game changer for anybody listening, you know, whatever your goals are and and maybe not even a physical goal, whatever it is, like you can't focus on that end result because it'll cloud what you're doing right now. What mile is Forest Hill? Forest Hill is 62 miles. Okay. Um, and the, the, the saying goes, the race really starts at mile 62. <laughs> okay. Okay. For all the Western States, uh, followers, they all know that I'm sure. Yes. Yes. When did you start running with your teammate and talk about how you guys kind of worked together? Yeah. So from, from Forest Hill, uh, there's, a part of the course called Cal street, which drops down into the America to the American river. And then you spend maybe four miles running right along the American river. Um, so it's a mostly downhill stretch, but there are some punchy climbs. Um, and there's, it's a little tricky because forest Hill has so much energy that you can get really amped up and that can, and then start running too fast going down there, um, and, and work yourself into a hole mm-hmm. when it should be a place where you should kind of be cruising. Um, so there are three aid stations. They call them Cal one, Cal two, Cal three. And at Cal one, I heard that I, w- that the next guys up were like eight minutes in front of me. And then at Cal two, two of the guys were actually in the aid station. One, oh, of, them, wow. my, one of them, my teammate Drew Holman, another guy, Tim Tollefson, um, who's a legend in his own right. Yeah. Um, you saw and, him when you rolled up, you were like, Oh, here we are. Yeah. He was, he was in bad shape. I'm not, I, mean, I think it was either dehydration or just the heat. Um, and he rallied really well, um, later on as well. Um, so with Drew, I knew that I'd kind of, um, I'd closed up a gap, but he started feeling a lot better. And so we ran a good, it was definitely more than 10 miles. It might've been almost 15 miles together. Um, and there was, I think with both of us, it was, there was a, some intention in like, okay, well, where's, where's Hayden? Cause he was in second and we were running in third and fourth at oh, this wow. time. Um, and we were ca- talking to one another as saying like, uh, let's, let's work together to, to kind of close this gap down. And we were seeing that, that gap closed at the same time. Um, of course, at, at some point we're going to have to, we are racing one another against right. one another as well. Um, and so with that, I just kind of, I just, I, I tried to stay cool in that, in that, um, 
in that position and not feel like I really had to make too many big moves. And I felt like I did have some pressure on him, um, mostly being behind him throughout this stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we came into about mile 85. Um, shortly after that, I thought I can't leave this to chance. I'm going to need to make a little bit more of a decisive move. Um, so I started to, to, I just changed gears a little bit and, and, gapped him and it's in this stretch of trail that goes kind of in and out of these um these ridge lines along a canyon wall and so there's lots of twists and turns a lot of tree cover so kind of that i had that out of sight out of mind mentality of like let's get away as quickly as possible so that he doesn't have any view of me and hopefully he stops thinking about me (laughs) had you guys already passed hayden no, not yet. Yeah. Okay, so then you um, passed Hayden, and 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 he also passed Hayden. Yeah, Hayden um, had a had a tough stretch from maybe the nearly let's see from Browns Bar mile ninety to mile eighty or ninety five, um, and then I think Drew actually had some he had some some cramping and things that happened as well that were tough for him for the last five or so miles. You must feel very well prepared when at 80 mile 85, you can like switch gears. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the funny thing about this Western States course is that the last 20 miles are tantalizingly easy to run. Okay. As I mean, if you, you you should be pretty much running the entire thing, but, and it's those people that are running that stretch of the course that are going to probably run up into that top 10 position and you need to manage yourself so that when you get to um an aid station called green gate where where that stretch starts that you're ready to run really run ready it. to go for are you running like at a pretty good clip yeah it's there's a lot of cloud cover so i or not cloud cover but like tree cover so i couldn't quite tell what my gps was saying it was probably maybe seven thirties or something maybe eight eight minute miles okay so and it's, and it's rolling as well so um yeah, I'm not entirely sure what the pace was. Never You're moving though. Better. Yeah. Yeah. You're moving your body. Um, tell me what you think about all these women placing so high. Oh, it's so cool. Um, yeah, that was some incredibly smart racing and Beth Pascal's um effort was uh world class, obviously. Um, for her to be the second that's the second fastest uh running of the course on an extremely hot year. Yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, you always got to, <laughs> I'm always looking over my shoulder wondering who could be coming back, coming up on me. And it, it's not necessarily going to be, um, one of the male contenders. So I think that's, that, that will just always be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And she, I'm actually going to be interviewing her in a couple okay. weeks and for everybody listening, she's a pediatrician. Yeah. 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 My wife actually spent some time with her down in Flagstaff and was was just so inspired because my wife's in med school as well, um, and and she's you know balancing these two things um, of of medical practice and and running as well and to do that is is challenging. It is challenging. Um, I think the sleep deprivation of like you know something like medical school paired with ultra running would be just so difficult. Now I know that your wife just got her doctorate. I didn't know she was in med school. Yeah, she's in a um, MD PhD program, so okay. it's kind of crazy. <laughs> I mean, I can't, well, I can't imagine. Is she running big miles right now? Um, well, so she just had, so she just finished her PhD, and then she had um, 
six weeks, um, two months worth of, of time when she, between when she was finishing her PhD and going back to her MD. She did two years of MD of, of med school. Then she did her research years. And then now she's back to do her final two years of MD. Um, wow. And so, so she had a little bit of a, a chunk of time when she didn't have too many um, school school requirements. So that allowed her to, to get some great running in and do some racing and stuff. Um, and now we're kind of talking about how, how do we adjust workouts to be, um, you know, it, it'll, there'll be a lot of like mini workouts, mm. but can we get done in an hour? You know, I love that. Fit it in. Yeah. Um, we'll hear more from Rachel. She's going to come on the podcast. Everybody, <laughs> we're yeah. going to lure her on after Tyler's appearance. We'd love to be on here. Hey friends, a quick break here to let you know about Prevenex. Prevenex is where I get all of my multivitamins and supplements and protein powder and vitamins for my kids. Their products are designed for maximum impact with quality ingredients, clinical precision, real benefits, and real impact. In fact, every purchase you make of their children's Supervites bottles they donate a bottle to malnourished kids around the world. Such a cool program. What I want to tell you about today is their Joint Health Plus supplement. I know we are all looking for longevity in this sport, and their Joint Health Plus delivers ingredients that are clinically proven to offer the most comprehensive and complete joint protection around. I've had so many listeners reach out and tell me they've had great benefits from this Joint Health Plus. So much protection and relief from this product. I believe in it. I take it every day. My body, my joints, they feel so good. And I know that Prevenex has a lot to do with that. We also use their Nourify Plus protein powder and smoothies every day with my kids. The most nutrient densely packed meal, mini meal my kids eat every day is with that protein powder because we sneak vegetables, we sneak kale and spinach and frozen fruit in there and they help me make it. They love it. You all can save when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. You'll save 15% when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. When you support a sponsor of this podcast, you are directly supporting the show. So for that, I thank you and your joints will thank you too. All right, back to my conversation with Tyler. Okay, so let's finish off off Western States. You know, looking back at the race now, we're still so fresh, so your your mind is fresh with it. Are there any, like, immediate lessons or, or pieces that you are already taking from the race that you know you'll carry with you for the rest of your life? Oh, um, I mean, this is not an individual sport. <laughs> that was – that became very, very clear as um, – I have two of my friends from high school who were crew for me and people that I know from, um, from the trail running world when I got into that. Um, so it was this, this great collection of, uh, of guys that supported me all the way, all the way through and without, without their sacrifices and, um, and their wives and partners sacrifices to take, take, take care of childcare or dog care, all of those things. Um, I don't think it would have been nearly as successful of a run. Um, and, and we were just all in like one accord. Like I think everyone kind of looked at me and knew that something special was possible. Um, 
and and there was like this great amount of belief that they had in me um i think that i'm usually like the last person to believe in myself but i just keep getting these messages from <laughs> crew and loved ones that like no 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 this is going to be good like okay i'm i'm going to believe you <laughs> um so all that to say whether it's the the belief or or the the wheels on or the the rubber on rubber hits the road what am i trying to say i get what <laughs> um, you're saying when they actually the logistics that they are putting putting forth um and keeping me cool and keeping me fed and all of that um it's a it's a it was a team effort now you believe though say that again now you believe though like you oh, believe yeah. in yourself now <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a. That's a journey too. Yeah. It's like, oh, boy, I, now I'm like, got to do that. Try to do this again so that it wasn't. It was real. <laughs> yeah, like it was. Was it a fluke or? Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't. Uh, what? <laughs> what is your coach like? Who is your coach, by the way? Um, his name is Matt Lay. Um, he coaches for Sharman Ultra, uh, and is a has a PhD in exercise physiology. Okay. So really sought him out with the idea that he could give me that. Um, you know, how am I going to get my body physiologically ready for, for these efforts? Um, he's not someone who's necessarily going to like be a huge, like cheerleader and yeah. like, you're going to do all this great stuff. But he, but when he says something, he's like, okay, so I want you to work on some mantras. And, um, and one of the mantras that I think you should have is why not me? Because mm. I really think that you could do pretty well. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'll believe you on that one. <laughs> I love that. So it sounds like he kind of, he, he has the formula, like he has a formula in, in his head for what you needed to do to train for the race. And I know we talked about adding in the, the heavy weightlifting and how you, um, phased it out a little, phased it differently right before the race. But what different running tactics did you focus on for, for this year? A significant amount of like fast downhill running, okay. Western States downhill course and your quads have to handle that and strength training helps with that but also it's got to be very very specific and so you got to do do a lot of downhill running um that was a piece of it and then wednesdays we would usually do like workout wednesdays or sometimes it was tuesdays or thursdays but um doing some some faster mostly tempo um either lactate threshold or aerobic thresholds work um just to to move the needle there um, on flat, but, on flat, uh, yeah, it's mostly on flat or, or rolling, rolling. But you're at elevation. I'm not, not Oh, you're Portland. not. Oh, you're in no. Portland. That's right. Yeah. Are you, um, like, what are you throwing down for those thresholds? Like seven mile threshold? Well, I was wearing vapor flies so that, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> true, true. Um, so I think getting into like five twenties or okay. so. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, okay. So sounds like more f faster downhill running, more speed sessions than you were doing before. And then of course getting like usually the weekends getting into the mountains. Um, we found that I had some success doing like kind of a, what I call just like a training camp, like a three day do 20 to 30 miles each day and did a couple sessions of those in the buildup. And those are, those have been really effective ways to to get me ready for a hundred milers. Okay. So you seem like a person that really like enjoys life and basks in like even the simple things. So what are you like basking in now? You have this like second place. I'm going to call it a victory. The second place victory. What's this next week or two or three look like for you? Well, as a teacher, 
I'm really reveling in like not having <laughs> to go to work too much. <laughs> uh, I still have some, I'm still, I'm coaching a, I coach our um, high school cross country team. So I'm getting them going. Um, right now I'm mostly eating a lot and, uh, and sleeping and reading some good books. Um, and we'll be, we'll be doing some weekend adventures. Um, and then in a few weeks we're going to go to, um, to hard rock, the hard rock 100, which is a classic 100 miler in Colorado and have never been out there and really looking forward to that. Are you going to cheer people on? Or are you running it? I'm not running it. Okay. No. I'll, I'll be, I'm going to be pacing my friend Dylan, who, oh, is, who did the, he did the, um, announcing of the, yeah, yeah. Live. you happen to have watched that. I did also, um, watch your post race interview with him and, um, also listen to you on his podcast. So, oh, great. I'm familiar. Thank you. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you, this is such a boring question, but I'm always just so curious. What are you eating during the race? Um, I, I'd say my base is, uh, is usually spring energy and Morton drink mix. Well, Morton or uh, tailwind. Okay. Um, but it's always a mixture. So as I start, I'll usually be eating a lot of gels, um, Coke at aid stations. And then as the race goes on, it tends to shift mostly to liquid calories just because I'm not really interested in eating too much mm. else. Um, I love watermelon and cantaloupe, mm. uh, boiled potatoes dipped in salt is a great one. Um, I think that's probably about it. And then it's always a little bit strategic of like, there's a basically a 15 mile stretch that's almost all downhill on that course. And so you don't have to work that hard aerobically and you can spend some extra time eating. So, yeah. you know, after, after running on that for a bit, I was like, Whoa, I just ate 500 calories in that hour. That's pretty solid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's all stayed down. So that's great. <laughs> what did you eat after the race? Um, they had some burritos at the start line or at the finish line. Um, the next morning I had, oh, next morning I, I we went, went to breakfast and it was like kind of a greasy spoon, gut bomb sort of place. Mm -hmm. Um, but I found like, that was like, oh, lox and bagel. That mm -hmm. looks really good. And that was just right. Cause it had this kind of light, cool feel to it. Um, but all the nutrients I think you need to kind of start filling back up. Oh my goodness. I know the food questions are always boring, but I am always curious and I love those potato, those salty potatoes. So good. Yeah. Yeah, it's a you, you got to kind of eat. Well, my wife says, "Eat what your tummy tells you." That's right. That's right. Um, okay, so one of the questions we're wrap up with into podcast, and I always ask people, "What's something professionally or personally you like to do that you have not done yet?" And anytime someone's coming off like a very big accomplishment, I'm like, I kind of hate asking this question because I'm they're like. I just did something, you know, really big, but do you have anything else on your mind that you're like, man, I really want to, I really want to do that. And you're thinking specifically with racing or That's whatever. I think, Life. Um, yeah, I think on the racing end, I love to do UTMB would love to do hard rock and continue to dabble in those things. I think in life, uh, and having kids looks pretty awesome. So I think that at some point that's probably what we need to, to be doing. Yes. I, it, it is awesome. It's, it's a lot of work it's and it's I'm a sure. lot of fun. It's, there's nothing, there's nothing better. That's for sure. Uh, you love reading. I love reading. I'm always reading. I'm always reading like three books at once. And so 
I always ask everybody, what's the best, most recent book you've read? But I need, from someone who loves to read as much as you, I need more than that out of this question. (laughs) So let's start there. You've primed me for this question. So here's, like, I have to say that you have to read Brian Doyle. Okay. Tell me more. Um, So Brian Doyle, he's a, as an Oregon boy, he's a, um, he's from Portland. Um, I think, I, I don't know, he's Maybe he's from New York or something. Eh. But anyway, he lived in Oregon for a number of years. He um, tragically died of brain cancer a few years ago. Okay. He is an exceptional storyteller, um, but has these just incredible, um, incredible lessons that come along with it and just has an eye for stories and the metaphors that come the, the uh, stories as metaphors and and lessons for our lives so um the 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 one to start with is probably um i've got it right here what is it one long river of song okay um but then he has some other that's like kind of a collection of short stories and some of his uh, po- poetry and such um but he also has a couple books called one's uh, mink river or uh, another one is martin 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 Martin. So like the Pine Martin, the, but it, the Pine Martin's name is Martin. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and just exceptional, exceptional writing and storytelling and you'll learn a ton from him and, and be really moved on top of that. I send this to a lot of my, a lot of my friends. Um, there's a essay that you can find online called how to be good. Okay. And that's a, that's a nice little window into, into his type of writing. So I, you find me for this and then like, I just want people to know that they should read Brian Doyle because it changes you. (laughs) Is he, okay. First of all, how old was he when he died? Um, tell me he was old. I'm not entirely sure. I want to say maybe like 60. Okay. So not very old, but at least not 30. Um, When when, When he was diagnosed with, as far as I understand, when he was diagnosed with, with cancer, he went on an absolute tear of writing and wrote books and essays and just like so prolific. I, th- I don't know if he was just like, I need to pour all of these things out and let people know these yeah. things. What it was. Um, is he a spiritual guy? Yes, he is. He is Catholic. Okay. Um, so there's kind of spiritual overtone, overtones, undertones within uh-huh. it. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say it was, it's overt. Okay. What are you still a practicing Christian? Um, I don't know if practicing is the, the right word for it. I'm reading Richard Rohr, the universal Christ oh, right yeah. now. Have you read oh, that? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah, um, that's where my frame of, of mind is when I ask that question, that's I'm right in the middle of that book. Well, I have just recently read, um, Richard Rohr's the universal Christ as well. Oh my gosh. Divine dance and, um, what's his other one? falling upward. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and that's definitely kind of where I'm at in my thinking. Okay. So if you want kind of a, a window into, into kind of my spiritual journey, that's where I'm at. Okay. Very good. I, um, I listen to Pete Holmes podcasts sometimes. Mm-hmm. Have you ever listened to you made it weird? Yep. Yep. And, and I he... listen to that podcast <laughs> with Richard. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he, well, he talks about him all the time too. And I was at this, um, Uh, local bookstore in Sanibel a few weeks ago and I saw the book and I was like I gotta read this book like he's been I've been listening to Pete talk about him and I'm kind of on that kind of journey myself trying to figure things out and um yeah I'm really glad I picked it up 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, I grew up in a evangelical, um, in a, well, Presbyterian, Same. and then and then moved to an evangelical church for a number of years. And um, and what I've noticed is that I'm reading a lot of Catholic writers yes. right now. And so, um, like Thomas Merton and Richard Rohr uh-huh. or Brian Boyle, um, and they all kind of have this kind of more a little more of a, a universal view on things. Uh huh. I don't know if I can put words to some of these transcendent ideas. <laughs> I know. I, f- I, f- I feel the same way. And I feel like I'm constantly reading and reading and reading and trying to figure out what do I really believe? And I also have a really hard time like regurgitating what my mind is, is, um, is thinking as I read. And I'm always telling my husband, I'm like, will you read this with me so that then we can talk about it together? Because like, as I read each chapter, I'm like, I just need to like decompress this chapter with somebody. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Actually, a friend of mine bought me Universal Christ and he is like, well, I actually bought this for you so that we could talk about it. <laughs> That's so great. Um, he said he would do audio. So I actually just need to get into his phone and download it and yeah. be like, hey, on your run today, go to read, cha- get to through chapter one. <laughs> sure. um, okay. Well, this is great. Who is someone fun, motivating or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea or cocktail with? Shoot, this was the one that I actually didn't, I didn't, I wasn't, I was like, oh, let me think about that. Richard Rohr. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go with the easy one of like someone like a Richard Rohr or Brian Doyle, just because I think I could soak up a lot of wisdom and, um, and probably hear some like, some hard things. Well, I don't know, this doesn't make it necessarily fun, but probably hear some hard things about how I'm living and, and mm-hmm. who I am and also, and also hear it from a really real place of love. Um, that sounds like a good, a good coffee date. I love it. Or Michael Gervais. He can, he can really like fine tune your mental game. Yeah. I mean, I think his podcast is basically just, um, it's just sports psychology sessions, right? (laughs) I'm going to listen to that today. Um, okay. What is your last message you want to leave with the audience today? I think everyone should get to Western States at some point and go to the golden hour. Okay. Um, which if you're not familiar with the golden hour, um, the race, the race cutoff is 30 hours and from 29 to 30 hours, everyone joins the track and gets to cheer in the people that are finishing who've just been running for 29 hours and have had quite a journey through the night and into the next morning. Um, and it is one of the most spectacular pictures of humanity where everyone is just cheering these people on. And I think the lesson there is that like, hardship isn't something that we avoid. It is a part of, it is, is a part of being human. Um, that it's an essential experience of being human is to, is to recognize and, and seek challenge head on and to see the elation within that, but also, um, also to accept the the challenges that we face. Um, and you can see that, you can see that happening on the track, um, in, during the golden hour. Oh, that's so good. What time of day is that? Uh, I think it's from 11 to 12, no, 10 to 11. P.M. 10 to 11 a.m. A.m. Okay, so it's in the, so did you go home and like, did you go back to your hotel and sleep a little bit or did you stay out on the track? Yeah, we, we, we slept for a while. And we then, slept a little bit, okay. And come, yeah, which is, you know, you're like, oh, I'm, well, that's the thing about ultras is that it doesn't matter how fast you're, you're doing it. Everyone has succeeded and the journey of the person who's running 445 um is spectacular and the person who's running 29 hours and 59 minutes is 
equally impressive in a totally different way. For sure. Yeah, I noticed one of your Instagram posts that I really loved was before the race, you talked about how like, I chuckled at this because you're like running 100 miles is like a frivolous thing. But what we're really like doing is living life. We're like doing the hard work that I think we were created to do, like to invest ourselves in something like that. Um, but I just kind of love that you were able to call it out. You know, I always think about that with triathlons too. I'm like, such a selfish sport. You're spending so much time just like on your own body and your own self. But at the same time, acknowledging, acknowledging A, that it is this frivolous thing, but B, that there's a lot of beauty in that hard work. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, Tyler. Well, thank you for doing this and huge congratulations to you. Thank you so much. It's really good to, to talk with you and get to know you too. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Congratulations, Tyler. And thank you for coming on the show. You all can learn more about Tyler. You can find him on Instagram. He is narrow green arrow on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Lindsay Hine 626. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine. And we have a Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Definitely connect with us over there. We've got lots of great conversations going on on the regular over there. If you are a parent and you are looking for more content from me, definitely check out my parenting podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? Lots of relevant conversations over there that are no fluff, just the real deal. Go check it out. And then we also have extra content over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. I'm about to record an episode with my husband, Glenn, over there. We're going to hear all of his thoughts and opinions on the track trials, I think. (laughs) Uh, All right, friends, have a great Friday, a wonderful rest of the weekend. And as always, we will see you next Friday.